It's an old hymn, Amazing Grace, and we sing versions of that in, in both of our worship times. But there's a, a great line in, in that song that says, I once was lost, but now I'm found. It's wonderful. The lost and found idea is a part of Jesus' teaching. When someone had lost a sheep and they went and looked for it and they found the sheep and they, they said, rejoice with me. I've found my lost sheep. And when the woman lost the coin and when she found it, she called to her friends and she said, rejoice with me. I've, I've found my lost coin. And the father, when his prodigal son came home, he said, this my son was lost. But now he's found. Precious things that were lost are now found. Indeed, that was the mission of Jesus. In fact, Jesus says in Luke 19.10, he says, For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Father John Powell was a professor at Loyola University. And there was a person in his class one semester named Tommy. And Tommy was an atheist. Well, surprisingly, they got along very well during the course of that semester. And when the semester ended, Tommy, as he was leaving the class, asked Father John, he said, do you think I'll ever find God? And Father John replied, no, I don't. And the man, Tommy, looked at him for a while, and he turned to walk away. But Father John followed it up with uh, Tommy. He said, I, I don't think that you will find God, but I am quite sure that God will find you. This wonderful God that we serve, this God who loved us so much and, and who pursued us and would, would not leave us where we are, but would come to us in the person of Jesus Christ and would die for our sins and would provide for us a way uh, of salvation. Those of us who were, who were lost, God came to find us and to, to save us and to bring, him, bring us to himself. And that's the wonderful, wonderful, wonderful news of Scripture. And we believe here that salvation is found only in one place, and that is in Christ alone. But the question before us today is, what about those of us who are found for those of us who are found, what, what is our responsibility? Well, here at Clarksburg Baptist Church, we believe that found people find people. Found people find people. After his resurrection, as he's preparing to return to heaven, Jesus gathers on a mountain with his disciples, and he says in Matthew 28, verses 18 through 20, Jesus came and told his disciples I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach them, teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you. And be sure of this, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. And that charge is still valid for the church, those of us who have been found, those of us who have been found by the love and the mercy and the grace of our Lord, those of us who have been brought into the family as loved children of God, those of us who have been forgiven of their sins, those of us who have strength for today and, and hope for tomorrow. Jesus' words are not simply to us an encouragement. They're a command. 
We are to go and we are to share what Christ has done for us. There's something interesting, though, in Jesus' command. Jesus doesn't give a lot of specifics. He just says, go. Go. He doesn't give them a manual. He doesn't give them a, a, a PowerPoint presentation. He just says, go. Go and make disciples. I think Jesus does this on purpose because we are all different. All of us are different. You know, we don't all do things the same way. We don't drive the same way. We don't cook the same way. We're different in a lot of ways. So why wouldn't we be different when it comes to how we are gifted to go and share our faith? We have different personalities and we have different gifts. Some of us are shy and some of us are outgoing. The important thing is not so much that, that we know how to do it as the fact that we go and do it. That we indeed go and find ways to share our faith. And I also believe he's not specific because a lot of people sometimes that, that I meet feel guilty that they're not sharing their faith. They'll say, well, man, you know, John over here, he's out there and he's knocking on doors and, and he's telling people about Jesus and he's so excited about his faith. And man, I must be doing something wrong because I just, that's just not me. And so they feel guilty. Well, there's no need to feel guilty. We are all different. You know, I can't work on cars, okay? But I can preach, maybe. But that's okay. I don't feel guilty that I can't work on cars. There are others who can do that. And it's that way with sharing our faith. If we can't do it one way, don't feel like that's the only way that we can do it and feel guilty because you can't do it that way. There are lots of different ways. To share our faith. And we are all gifted in different ways. But the point being that we are all to find some way to do it. And you don't have to be afraid. Not only do you not have to feel guilty. You don't have to be afraid. Jesus says, I'm going to be with you always. As you go out and do this, I'm going to be with you. In other words, you don't, you don't have to have the strength to do it. You don't have to have the words to say it. I'm going to give you both of those. You see, our job is not to go out and save people. That's the Holy Spirit's job. Our job is simply to share. And we're not to muster our own strength to go do it. That's the Holy Spirit's job as well. Our job is to just be available to do it. If you look at Jesus, Jesus is a great example of all these different ways to share with others. And if you just look at Jesus' interaction with other people, Jesus interacted with people not just in his circle, but outside of his circle. He interacted with, with people that people in that day didn't want to have anything else to do with. But Jesus also associated with his friends. Jesus even associated with some of the people that, that were his enemies. But he associated with all kinds of people. Jesus listened. Jesus asked questions. He was authentic. He was loving. He was compassionate. He wasn't pushy. He was encouraging. He was inviting. He was humble. And he was consistent in his message. All of those things combined was how Jesus went out and shared with others. And if you think about the opportunities that we have, 
to share in, in all of those different ways. And what we need to realize is we need to adopt this attitude of Jesus when we share our faith. This, this attitude of being loving and compassionate and encouraging and inviting and humble and consistent and, and all of those things. But we also need to think of how he did this. We need to associate with other people. We need to make opportunities to be around people. You can't share your faith. I know you can do it online, but you can't really do it unless you do it in person. Make time to be with other people. It involves speaking, but it also involves listening. It involves sharing your life, not just your words. It involves living in a way that others see that there's a difference in you. It involves encouraging other people. Instead of tearing them down, it involves inviting people to be a part of your life. Not just a part of your church, but a part of your life. It's being loving. Loving others even if they don't love you. And it's being helping and not expecting anything in return. Those are all sorts of ways in which you can show and share your faith. Through your actions and through your words. And it does involve both. Found people, find people. Jesus says, go into all the world. Huh, wow. So do I have to become a missionary? No, I mean, the world's a big place. If you want to go do that, wonderful. But I think Jesus is really talking about in everywhere in the world, he wants people to make disciples. You can start right where you are. Maybe you don't want to go all over the world, but you can start in your corner of the world where God has placed you. God will place you in situations where you have opportunities to share your faith in a whole bunch of different ways. If you want to become a missionary, great, but worry about your corner of the world first. And there's an implied urgency about this. Uh, it, it's not something that I think we can continue to, to ignore uh, because Christ will return. We don't know when, but we know we will. And so there's an urgency for us to share our faith in as many ways as we can with as many people as we can and try to bring them into the kingdom of God. Now, while most Christians would probably agree to some extent with all of this, nobody's going to argue with the fact that we are not to go or that we are to go. Nobody's going to say, well, we're not to go and we're not to share. And we all agree with that. The, the, the issue comes, though, sometimes in the church when all of us come together and all of us have different opinions, maybe, of how things should go. It's not that we disagree on sharing, it's just we might disagree on the method of sharing. Or that maybe we want to add a thing or two to the message that maybe really doesn't belong there. There's an issue that arises in the early church in the 15th chapter of Acts. Acts is a wonderful uh, book for you to read. Uh, it, it's about the early church and it, it really shows some, just some basic things that I think as a church sometimes we, we grow and we tend to, to overlook. Uh, 
But in, in Acts, uh, the first part of Acts, the, uh, it focuses on the Jewish Christian community, particularly the Jerusalem church. That's where the Christian witness uh, had begun, and it had spread to Samaria and the land, other lands of the Jews. But then a major push to go to the Gentiles with the gospel had begun. But there were some issues related to specifics. And, and I know people are always going to have it wrong, but you know, even in, in, this, in the early church, this is something that's, that's, very, that's very new. It's a transitional time for the early church. Uh, this is all new to them. And also, there's some people who grew up in a, in a very strict Jewish culture who believe very strongly that things should be a certain way. So there are all sorts of ideas that, that, that come into to what's going on here. But here's what it all relates to. There was a group of Christians who had come to Antioch and they were teaching that the Gentiles, in order to be saved, had to be circumcised and had to obey the law of Moses. In other words, this group is saying a Gentile must first become a Jew before he can become a Christian. And it's not sufficient for them to simply trust in Jesus, but they also must obey the law of Moses. And a related issue was how in the world can we associate with these Gentiles unless they become like us? So there's a big meeting. Maybe the first real big church business meeting in Scripture. Um, in Acts chapter 15, beginning in verse 7, it says, After much discussion about this issue, Peter got up and addressed them, Brothers, you know that some time ago, God made a choice among you that the Gentiles might hear from my lips the message of the gospel and believe. God, who knows the heart, showed that he accepted them by giving the Holy Spirit to them, just as he did to us. He did not discriminate between us and them, for he purified their hearts by faith. Now then... Why do you try to test God by putting on the necks of Gentiles a yoke that neither we nor our ancestors have been able to bear? No, we believe it is through the grace of our Lord Jesus that we are saved, just as they are. After this, uh, James, who's the leader, stands up and uh, basically says, what, what he's saying is, is, is right, and, and he says it's backed up by the prophet Amos. And then he says, James, in verse 19, he says, It is my judgment, therefore, that we should not make it difficult for the Gentiles who are turning to God. James essentially says the same thing that Peter did in verse 10. Peter says it this way. He says, now then, why do you try to test God by putting on the necks of Gentiles a yoke that neither we nor our ancestors have been able to bear? He's a little more eloquent, and he says, it is my judgment that we should not make it difficult for the Gentiles who are turning to God. Making it difficult means don't annoy. In other words, we, we, we shouldn't annoy the Gentiles who are coming to God. When I want to get someplace, I become extremely annoyed at detours and roadblocks and traffic jams. I saw a couple of you mouthing the words as I said them. You're like me. I, I get very impatient. I get annoyed. In fact, so much so that that I, I get to the point sometimes where I just want to turn around and, and go back where I came from. Well, that, that's, what, that's what James is talking about here. 
that often churches needlessly put up detours and roadblocks and, and traffic jams for people who are coming to Christ. And, and you think, well, how in, the world, how in the world do we do that? Well, one of the ways sometimes that we do, do it is by insisting that for someone to come to Christ, they have to accept our traditions and our way of doing things, or, or they have to dress a certain way in order to truly be a Christian. Uh, sometimes it, it's that we emphasize what people must do instead of what Christ has done. And then sometimes, and it's kind of all related, but often we will blur the distinction between justification and sanctification. Big words. We are justified. We are justified. We are freed forever from the penalty of sin when we accept Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. It's not something that we earn. It's a gift. It's not made possible by anything that we do, but rather it's a declaration made by God because of the work of Christ on the cross. Justification is instantaneous, and it's a one-time thing. Now, when that happens, then... That's where sanctification comes in. We are sanctified. We are, are set apart for God's use. And sanctification is an ongoing process. The Holy Spirit continues to do a work in us every day to help us to become more and more like Jesus. Though they are both essentials in our faith, they are different. We play a part in our sanctification process. We do. We, we, we are to, to find ways to grow. We are to study. We are to learn. We are to, to follow examples. We are, we are to grow in our faith. We play a part in, in sanctification. On the other hand, we play no part, none, in justification other than saying yes to Christ. We don't make it happen. We can't make it happen. And we can't earn it. They're two different things. We don't earn our salvation, but we are to grow more and more like Jesus every day. And what we do a lot of times in the church when we blur those two is we create a lot of guilt. Because what we will say, if you are really a Christian, then you would. You know, if you really believed in Jesus, then you would be doing this, that, or the other. Now, you have to be careful because I believe when Christ comes and you accept him as your Lord, I do believe that there is a desire in you to grow, to become more like him. But there is nothing that you can do to earn your salvation. So when the Christians throw this out that, uh, you know, well, you got to do this to become a Christian. You got to do this to be a Christian. You got to do this to be a Christian. That's not what the Bible says. The Bible says you have to accept Christ's offer. Then you grow to be more and more like him. And let's be honest. We all fail. We're not always successful. But we have a way to come and ask forgiveness and to be renewed in our faith. But please don't blur justification and sanctification. James illustrates it very well, I think, in what follows. 
Um, in verses, uh, chapter 15, verses 20 and 21, he says, we shouldn't make it difficult, but. <laughs> he said, instead, we should write to them, telling them to abstain from food polluted by idols, from sexual immorality, from the meat of strangled animals, and from blood. For the law of Moses has been preached in every city from the earliest times and is read in the synagogues on every Sabbath. He's saying that they should not make it difficult, but he says we should, should ask the Gentile Christians uh, to abstain from things that are most offensive to their Jewish brothers and sisters. And, of course, there are other acts that are inappropriate for believers. But, he says, this is a starting place. He says, Let, let's start here. Let's start with these things so that, that you cannot, so that you won't offend your Jewish Christian brothers and sisters. But also, so they will be comfortable fellowshipping with you. He says, this is a starting point. It's not the end. It's a starting point. Now, you are to grow in all sorts of areas in your life. But this is a great thing for us to understand. That what he's saying is that the Jews need to be patient with their new Gentile brothers and sisters. But at the same time, their Gentile brothers and sisters need to be sensitive to the Jews and be careful not to offend. It's a great lesson for us as we relate to one another as the body of Christ. And the New Testament talks about us not being stumbling blocks to other people or not doing things that will intentionally offend others. We may have the freedom to do it and, and, and it may be perfectly okay with us, but we need to be careful that we don't offend other people because not only, not only does, does it offend them, but it, it hurts our relationship with them and it hurts our overall Christian witness to other people. So we need to be careful with those things as well. But here's something that's interesting to notice. James is not saying we should write to those who haven't believed yet. He's not saying we should write to all the Gentiles and say, here, you need to do this. No, he's talking about the ones who are already believers, who have already been justified. And he encourages them to let that inward transformation begin. Now, the Gentiles knew the standards. I mean, he says, look, the, 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 the law is preached in every synagogue. They, they, they know it. They, have, they know what it is. Now they just need to grow in it. But here's a great place to start. A wonderful transformation should begin to make you more like Christ so that you can rid yourself of the destructive behaviors, not only for yourself, but also for the family of God. But it's not, he's not in any way saying that we should condone sin. He's not in any way saying that, that we should compromise our beliefs. We do accept people where they are. That's where God accepts them. We do accept them where they are, but we should never excuse behavior. We should lead them in the right way. It does mean that we love people, even if they disagree with us, but it doesn't mean that we compromise the truth. 
And it, it means that, that we are patient with people as the Holy Spirit continues to work in them just as the Holy Spirit continues to work in us. But it doesn't remove mature believers from helping in the process. And it does mean that we allow the Holy Spirit to do what the Holy Spirit does best. But it does not mean that we totally abdicate our responsibility to help people grow. It's, it's a grace to me, a grace and truth thing. We've talked about this a lot of times before. Uh, the Bible says that, that when, when Jesus came, he's full of grace and truth. He wasn't half one and half the other. He was full uh, uh, of both. And this is a wonderful illustration. Grace. Grace invites everyone to come into a relationship with Jesus Christ. And we should never do anything that's a roadblock, a detour, or whatever to people who want to come and accept the grace of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. But at the same time, we tell the truth as well. And oftentimes when we think of truth, we think of truth as, as somehow restricted. Like, okay, we want you to come to Christ, but now we're going to put all these restrictions on you once you did. No, the, the truth, if you look at it that way, to me is wrong. Because truth is freeing. You know, the Bible says, you know, we'll know it. And it'll set us free. The truth is not restrictive. Truth sets us free from things that would hold us in bondage. Habits and, and, and wrong relationships and all of those things. Truth is freeing. So we need to certainly invite people to come to Christ. Found people need to find people. But at the same time, we need to tell them the truth. Not so that we can restrict them but so that the truth can set them free. Let's pray.